Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Are there uh, people in your life who, who do all the talking? Don't raise your hand. Um, you feel like when you leave those conversations, like I'm no more known or heard or understood than I was when, before we talked. And it's, it's really only kind of half a relationship. The only thing worse, I suppose, is that those kind of one-person monologue half relationships are inevitably going to turn into uh, less and less frequency until... There's no relationship. I feel like that in my prayer times. Uh, I don't know if anybody can relate. Prayer for me at times was like this telephone conversation where one person did all the talking and I was that person. And even as I've <laughs> complained about how boring and cold my prayers had become, I had this sense that God was saying, you think you're bored. <laughs> like... <laughs> Here I am longing to be your father and your friend, but you just kind of abruptly hang up the prayer phone with an amen as soon as you got everything off your chest. And, and, and there's God sitting at the other end of this disconnected prayer line going, could I get a, could I get a word in here? I, I've been on this church renewal journey for about three years now. It's where I meet with other pastors from across North America, and uh, we Zoom and we, we implement the things in our churches like the Hearing God Seminar, like Abide, the 15-week discipleship course, and I'm learning or maybe relearning that prayer isn't a monologue, uh, and, and through this process, I believe that the most urgent area of growth in my life uh, and in the life of our church would be that of prayer. Um, the first duty, the first privilege of Christ's followers, prayer. Do you remember what Jesus said when, when he entered the temple and he drove out all the money changers and he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Uh, notice he didn't call it uh, a house of teaching. Yet, even though he taught in the temple a lot, uh, he didn't call it a house of healing even though he obviously healed in the temple all kinds of times. Didn't call it a house of fellowship, although the temple was this major gathering place for God's people. He called it one thing, a house of prayer for all nations, Mark 11 says. And I would love if we would be known, New Market Alliance Church, oh, they're that house of prayer for all nations. I've heard it said among pastors, sort of a little inside baseball here, that Preach where you want the church to go. And so I'll just lay my cards on the table right now. I want to grow in our prayer boldness, in our prayer priority, in our prayer effectiveness. Um, that's where I want Nat to go. That's where I want to go personally. And it's not too late for a guy like me 
to grow in this. It's not too late for someone like you to grow in your prayer life. And so we're going to take our time with this series. I hope that's okay. I hope it's more than just lectures. The lessons Jesus gave his followers on prayer are many, but they're primarily taught through praying and not by reading a textbook or listening to a podcast about prayer, listening to Kelly pray for you. I, I hope in the weeks to come that we'll step out in the, in the practicum part and actually pray, practice this. And uh, today I want to start with the why though. Why, why bother praying at all? If we accept the theological premise that God is omniscient, he knows all. He sees all. Um, not just the events of our lives, but actually our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our motives and our deeply felt longings. If we accept that premise, and if you're a Christ follower, I, I trust that you do, then a fair question might be asked. If God knows our needs, then why do we bother even praying? Do you hear that? Got to put the earrings on a different ear. And I'm hoping that if you find... Uh, the answers to these questions satisfying, they won't just be sort of intellectually or theologically satisfying. They'll actually build greater faith in you, greater motivation to pray. And, and there's other questions I hope we'll address in the weeks to come. Questions like, why does it seem God doesn't answer my prayer requests? Why, why does God delay in answering my prayers? And those are fair questions that I also want to warn you, I suppose, that sometimes the source of those questions are not what you'd call, you know, good faith inquiries. Sometimes the source of those questions are from the whispers, the lies of the enemy of our souls, um, who for, you know, from the very first moments in the garden, planted misgivings calculated to, to make you doubt God's goodness. Um, I think perhaps even the follow-up questions that you might have, he'll say, maybe God doesn't really listen to someone as messed up as you. Or maybe he doesn't really love you the way you think he does. Or maybe he doesn't even notice you. And the enemy's goal is to cause you to question God's goodness. Uh, so that You'll get discouraged in praying. Maybe quit following Christ altogether. That's his goal. So I, I want us to be able to fortify ourselves, if you will. Uh, those questions are, are good, but I, I don't want us to be tempted to, to ask or to, to say, why bother praying? Or put it another way, if God knows all my needs, why do I even need to pray? And uh, I'd like to give you... Uh, nine purposes for prayer. I'll be quick. I told people at the pre-service meeting, you know, I, I have nine points, and they laughed out loud at me. Um, and, uh, and then Jacob said, and then are you going to go to your community college teaching job? And uh, that, that hurt a little bit. I didn't even have my pipe with me. Um, I'm going to hit you with a ton of scripture, and hopefully to show that these are not isolated principles, but rather example after example, verse after verse of evidence of that's why we pray. And so purpose number one is to bring us back to God. It's, it isn't 
prayer, in essence, a, a cry for help? Uh, I think the reasons we don't pray more as Christians, particularly in North America, is because we think ourselves as, as self-sufficient. Uh, we don't pray more because we don't feel helpless more. That's, that's what prayer is, essentially, acknowledged helplessness. Paul encouraged us to pray in order to have our needs met. Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. James goes as far to say that some of you don't have simply because you don't ask. And uh, in his, his model of how we should pray, uh, Jesus says the exact same thing. Give us today our daily Yeah, and God has promised that he will help his children when they ask for help. Matthew 21, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And so what can seem puzzling about this is that we're told to share our needs in prayer, and our Heavenly Father already knows our needs before we ask them. In fact, he knows our needs before we know our needs, Matthew 6 says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. But not only that, God intends all along to give us good gifts. So, so why then do we bother asking then? It appears that God in his wisdom has decided to tie our needs to prayer because of the, I think because of the independent, self-sufficient nature that, that we all kind of struggle with. And uh, we want to do life apart from God. And Jesus warned that we were never designed to do life apart from the creator. And I'm going to keep coming back to this verse, but John 15 uh, says, remain in me, or I like, the, I like the older version, abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so by tying our needs to prayer, it encourages us to go to God, to rely on God. And it turns out we'll find even more than just the answers to our daily needs. But more on that in a minute. Purpose number two, to grow our faith in God. Um, could it be that God waits for us to ask him so that we'll properly value the gift when it comes and and then our hearts will will be turned to him in gratitude and 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 will renew our trust like Kelly prayed to to the one who gave it like try to follow me on this one Hebrews 11:6 says and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him so everything that you attain or accomplish in the Christian faith is linked to your faith in God everything so how do we get faith well one of the main ways is by experiencing him um, for example, Jesus said the most important commandment in the entire Bible, Matthew 23, uh, or 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the thing is, you won't be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul if you haven't first experienced God as, 
as incredibly wonderful. If you haven't experienced God as the one who is always good, the one who has your best interests at heart, who is responsive to you, who answers your cries for help, who watches over you, who reveals a bit of his glory to you, you won't be able to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. So how do we first experience him and his love? Primarily through the avenue of prayer. When God hears and answers our prayer, we discover that he does care for us, that he is listening to us, that he's very good to us, and so on. Uh, It's kind of this circular way that, you know, builds on itself, like a a flywheel that builds momentum. The more you pray, the more you see him as faithful, the more it builds our faith. And then, When he answers in ways that you didn't even expect, we discover even more about him, like his wisdom. Uh, When he orchestrates all kinds of events and and circumstances in order for prayers to be answered, we learn firsthand of his sovereignty over the world. And, And these new insights and surprises cause us to experience him more, trust him more, worship him with with genuine love and with obedience in matters that we can't even, you know, see far enough ahead, but God knows. You know, in answer to David's cries for help, uh, God helped him overcome a lion as a teenager, a boy, or a bear, a boy bear. Um, And so later, when he's confronted with a nine-foot-plus giant, David had the kind of faith, the kind of experiences of God Uh, where his faith had grown in crisis and miraculous delivery from God, to go against a giant uh, seemed doable based on his experience with God. So faith is the foundation for all that pleases God, which is why it's impossible to please God without it. And wouldn't you know it, the main way that you build faith in God is by Uh, tying our needs to prayer and then observing the response. You know what you'll find out? You'll find out that he is a good, good father. Calvin said, you know, good things that we do not ask for, wait, good things that we do not ask for will usually be interpreted by our hearts as the fruit of our own wisdom and intelligence. That thickens the illusion of self-sufficiency that leads to overconfidence and set us up for failure. Every good gift is from the Father of lights. Purpose three, to change us. This may be the most important one to me. When we go into God's presence through prayer, if nothing else, it changes us. C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about that. Just watch this brief 30-second clip. Jack, what news? Ah, good news, I think, Harry. Yes, good news. Very glad, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Rob. Christopher can scoff, but I know how hard you've been praying. Ah. Now God is answering your prayer. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. Doesn't change God, it changes me. He's got baby. Hannibal Lecter had a real conversion experience there. He, 
When we uh, pray, our desires are replaced by God's desires. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Don't you want the desire and the power to do what pleases Jesus? I sure do. Where does God uh, give us those desires? It says in prayer. And when we pray, our perspectives are exchanged for his. In, in Psalm 73, I can't read the whole psalm to you for time, but it starts with David really upset with bad people. And he actually seems upset with God that these bullies and these arrogant people are, are prospering. And David's resentful. And it all seems so unfair to him. But then he says something striking. He says that all this troubled him greatly until, Psalm 73, 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. So when God... Uh, so when David went into the sanctuary, or the equivalent of, of saying prayer, his perspective changed. He got God's perspective that there will be justice, that the evildoers won't always get away with it, that God sees all, and that he's ultimately in control. And so David repented of his attitude, all because um, his perspective was changed in prayer. And then it, it, it says in Psalm 73, 21, 22, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. How many of you get embittered? I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And then he moves from that right into worship in the remainder of the psalm for who God is. So good, so wise, so just, so merciful. I had somebody in my life, I was a teenager or a young adult, and I had a pastor who I just could not, stand. Aren't pastors the worst sometimes? Like, like Brian, right? Aren't they just the worst? Um, and the, this guy, I just, I don't know what was, about, he didn't, he didn't offend me personally, but I, I couldn't stand him. And I told somebody that and they said, have you prayed for him? I'm like, he's the last guy I want to pray for. And it was hard to pray, but I thought, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, hard to say, bless this guy, and, and, you know, when you're not really feeling it. But I, I did it, and I did it semi-regularly. And I don't know if he changed, but I sure changed. My attitude towards him changed. It was remarkable. Fourth thing prayer does is it strengthens us for the battle. If, I, if we haven't made it clear yet, um, the Christian life is a battle. It just is. That we are in an unseen war with forces of darkness and there's no better weapon at our disposal than prayer. In, in, in passages about spiritual warfare, Paul charges us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he tells us how to be strong. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And and then Paul explains that the armor consists of such things as truth and righteousness and faith and salvation and so on. Uh, These are the glorious riches that Paul talks about in in chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with, with power through the spirit in your inner being. So these two passages are referring to the same thing, his glorious riches, the kind of things that give us strength, hope, joy, perseverance. So 
how do we appropriate all these glorious riches? Um, hate to sound like a broken record here, but it, it seems to come back to this. The same way a branch receives its life from the vine, uh, the same way the believer receives life from being vitally connected to Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without abiding in Jesus, we can't do anything. We don't have the strength for it. And this is just practically done in prayer. You know, for example, when, when Peter and John were arrested for preaching Jesus, they were threatened not to preach again, and, uh, and then they were released. And so Peter and John reported all this to the church in Jerusalem, and the church gathered and they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And one of the things that they prayed for was for boldness and courage to face certain persecution. And God responded right then by filling them with the Holy Spirit. It says it shook the ground beneath them, Acts 4. After they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They received the filling of the Spirit and, and were filled with boldness, Christ's boldness. Amazing. Asked and answered. So we receive all the glorious riches that we need for life and for godliness through abiding with Christ, which comes in large measure during our prayer times. And, and when Paul describes the, the spiritual armor passage, he ends that passage by telling us how to do it. Pray, pray, pray. Uh, we know that Jesus received his spiritual food and strength in the same way. Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places or, or um, places of solitude, and he prayed. Prayer was the, the spiritual food that nourished his soul. It certainly is for us as well. Um, number five, prayer uh, is, is to take the presence of Jesus into our living and our ministering. I'm going to unpack this maybe deeper on another week, but suffice to say, we don't have to look further than seeing this principle worked out in the life of Jesus. Acts 10, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how we went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's what prayer does. Number six, to actively participate in kingdom advancement. I'd like to go all the way back, if I could, to the, uh, to the garden, Adam and Eve. And what did he do? God gave them dominion over the entire earth and creation, uh, Genesis 1. And even the psalmist echoed that when he says in, in Psalm 8, you made him ruler, talking about man, over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. It's interesting, the Hebrew word mashal, translated uh, as rule in verse 6, um, is, can also be called manage or manager, that, that Adam and his descendants were God's managers. Yeah, Psalm 115, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man, hu humankind, not men, but humankind. And the Hebrew word nathan, here translated uh, given, also means to assign. He's assigned it to us. So God didn't give away ownership of the earth, but he did assign us 
responsibility in, in governing it. And so in Genesis 2, when the Lord uh, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, um, he's saying how things go on planet Earth, for better or for worse, depended in part on our first parents and their offspring, us. So, so even though God is sovereign and powerful, he has limited himself in some ways concerning the affairs of the earth um, so that he can work through human beings, not independent of them, but through them. What a, what a privilege, really. So God has given us a role or some sort of partnership in affecting change in the world. And our biggest role is through prayer. Uh, didn't Jesus instruct us to pray, um, your kingdom come, your will be done? He wouldn't ask us to waste our time uh, for something that he, he was going, that was going to happen regardless, would he? What, didn't he ask us to pray for our daily bread, yet he knows our needs before we ask? Didn't, didn't he tell us to pray for laborers in the, in the harvest? But doesn't the Lord of the harvest want that even more than us? Didn't Paul say, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly? But wasn't God already planning to do this? Some of you know the story of, uh, of Elijah praying for rain after a three-year drought. First Kings is where you can find it in the land had been in this severe drought for three years. And so Elijah prayed seven times for the rain to come. And it's repeated in James 5 in the New Testament. Um, uh, and we know from this account that not only did Elijah's prayers bring the rain, but they also stopped the rain three years earlier. Um, it says, so after these three years of drought, judgment, God spoke to Elijah and said, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. And then there's this great showdown on Mount Carmel with, with Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And uh, if you haven't read the story, you really need to in 1 Kings. And after that showdown, Elijah prays seven times and the rain comes. But according to verse one, who, whose idea, whose initiation was it? It, it was God's, right? But it required Elijah's perseverance in prayer to achieve God's will here on earth. Now, did Elijah's prayer really produce the rain or was it simply kind of coincidental that he happened to be praying when God sent it? Well, let's read what James says. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Apparently, his prayers made a difference. Apparently, your prayers make a difference, particularly when you are praying for the expansion of God's kingdom. From, from Abraham's insistent prayer for God's mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah, from Moses' prayer to uh, for God to hold back his, his righteous anger on the Israelites. Daniel's prayer for deliverance of God's people. Their prayers make a difference. The early church was constantly in prayer. And when they prayed for Peter, 
Uh, he was miraculously released from prison and, and from certain execution. Example after example, verse after verse, where prayers make a difference. That alone should increase our prayer life by about 300% this week. When, when we pray, the work of the kingdom really is advanced. And so all this is in line with Jesus' teaching on prayer when he, when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was saying that our prayers are the means by which we're bringing God's will in heaven to bear on earth. And to that point, purpose number seven is to receive a specific direction um, from God for our living and for our ministering. In abide, we, we, we get to the Greek and call it the rima word, the, the specific word from God for today. I just showed you a ton of biblical examples of that. Saints prayed and things were changed to align with heaven's will. However, many times it isn't just prayer that God desires. It's also some sort of action on our part. Nehemiah prayed and asked for God's favor as he was going to make a request to the king. But he still had to make that request. Prayer followed by action. Uh, An action that, by the way, if it didn't go well, could have cost his life. Uh, Esther uh, asked the Jews to join her in prayer and fasting before carrying out this elaborate plan to save her people, a potentially dangerous plan, action. Um, but it isn't just um, any action that's required. We, we learn to take our directives from God. We do that because we often don't know the best course of action to take because we aren't om- omniscient. We don't know what lies ahead. Prayer is not a monologue. It took me a lot of my life to realize that. It is a dialogue. And it is so important that we learn to listen. Listen in prayer. Be able to hear in prayer. So the Spirit can direct us where He wants us to go. You know, the angel of the Lord told Philip in the New Testament to leave this very successful ministry to the Samaritans and go into the desert. Philip didn't even know what he was supposed to do out there, but he just obeyed. He wasn't sure who he was supposed to meet, but he listens. And he meets one man, an Ethiopian, and Philip explains the scripture to him. He he baptizes him right there in a ditch or something. And and even still, he he left this huge ministry to minister to, to one dude. Of course, what Philip couldn't have known beforehand was that this one dude would go ahead and and change the spiritual trajectory of a whole continent. The the gospel exploded in places that he never had considered. What human being could possibly think that they'd be wise enough to know the best course of action for the kingdom to take? Only an arrogant one, I think. And we have plenty of that in the Western church. Purpose number eight. I told you I'd go quick. To keep us from falling into temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember this, the, on, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he knows there's this enormous test that lay before him and his disciples. And he encouraged them to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. 
Watch and pray, Matthew 26, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. All the resources we need are found in Christ. And and they are accessed through prayer. And so in that situation in Gethsemane, with the boldness that they required to keep from succumbing to fear was at their disposal if they had just heeded Jesus' warning. Purpose nine, I'll close with this. And here's maybe the best one of all. We pray because God really does want to have a relationship with us. He wants us to love him and fellowship with him. Here's a guy you probably don't remember reading too much about. Genesis 5, 24. Um, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. By the way, how do you walk with God? Through prayer. And it pleased God so much that he took Enoch from the earth without even experiencing death. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I assume it involves some sort of Star Trek transporter, beam me up Jesus sort of deal. But Hebrews 11:5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For because before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. I don't know if anyone else finds it interesting that Enoch was not known for what he accomplished but he was known because of his relationship with God. He was known for walking with God. Anybody love that hymn? And he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. Um, Last week I said that David's one thing, the one thing he desired was to dwell, to live in the presence of God forever. He was, he was relationally motivated. And then in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. David knew that when we don't pray, we become spiritually dehydrated. And, and through prayer, we don't just know about God, but we truly get to know God relationally. See what Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. And when we fellowship with him, we, we know him in an experiential way. First Peter, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Incredible. It it seems our prayer times can even result in experiences of inexpressible joy in the presence of the Lord. Jesus invites every church, every believer, to open the door of their hearts so that he can have fellowship with them, communion with them through prayer. Revelation 3.20, here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. All this means is that we don't just speak to him in prayer. It means that we can hear him in prayer. 
We can have a real relationship. It means that we can have fellowship with him. It means that we can experience his presence in prayer. It's so beautiful. There's a, there's a word that means a lot more than the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. And I, I just looked up the, dic- the dictionary definition this morning. It means to the sharing of intimate thoughts and feelings especially when the exchange is on a spiritual level. We can actually achieve that, you know, through prayer. Listen to these words. Maybe make them your prayer today. Take me back to the garden. Lead me back to a moment where I heard your voice. Take me back to communion, Lord. It was all so simple then. You're so easy to love. There's, there was no space between us. It was so easy to trust because you're closer than my skin. You're you're in the air that I even breathe. This is where the dead things come back to living. I feel my heart beating again. It feels so good to know, Jesus, that you're my friend. Here in this place, I find you close. Here in the place, I'm fully known. 